0: Well hey there. Hello. Welcome back to the Gamcast. Oh, My name is Erica. And
1: I'm Chris.
0: And we really love young adults. We and do. so we started this podcast as a way to minister to young adults to help them through the trying times of the early twenties, you know? Yeah. Um. So we do that by going through the Bible. Because what better guidance do we have than God's word, right?
1: I'd say none. Exactly. So if you want to reach us, there's tons of ways to do it. You can go on the socials. That's what all the kids call it these days. <laughs> and we're called the Yamcast there or Yamcastpod at gmail.com. Hook us up with some feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. Always.
1: As a, every Always sound guy feedback. says, not all feedback is good feedback. But in our case, every feedback is good feedback. Yeah. Those sound people are wrong.
0: Yeah. They, uh, they get the, the feedback on the microphone.
1: Boom. So, uh, yeah, Hosea six. Yeah, ready to go.
0: Yeah, we're moving along.
1: Yeah, just a couple chapters left. Good times.
0: I mean, to be honest, Hosea's <laughs> is not really a good time.
1: <laughs> no, I was just trying to. I was trying to gussy it up because it's not any easier today. Chapter six. No, is not no. But uh, it's
0: a lot of the same, but still. Different things that can be gleaned, right? I I
1: feel like we're making a really awesome commercial for Hosea. (laughs) Are you loving doom and gloom? And do you wish that you could talk about adultery whenever (laughs) you want? Well, have we got the book for you? Mm -hmm. All right. You just
0: came up with that on the fly.
1: Wow. WPHU, Park Hills U. (laughs) Come on. Oh, golly. All right, YAMCast, folks, here we go. Hosea 6, like we just said. Warning, it doesn't get cheery. But it's important for us to read it and go through it. So chapter 6. Mm Here comes the read through, verse one. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth.
0: So, While I was reading this, we read this whole section because it's in quotations, and it is one section, technically three verses. And my first question was, who is speaking here? Yeah. Because this sounds great. Like, this sounds like what God would want to hear from a repentant nation, but as you read through the rest of this chapter, this is not what is actually on their hearts. So... My first question was, yeah, who in the world is speaking here? Because this doesn't seem like it is actually Israel.
1: Sure. Can I ask you a question that maybe will help people who are reading the Bible? What made you think that question? Was um, it mostly the quotations or was it something else?
0: Well, it was the quotations.
1: Okay. Because
0: I knew then that means somebody speaking. Yep. Um, I knew it wasn't God speaking because it yep. says, come, let us return to the Lord. True. Um, there is the thought of that it is Hosea speaking, which seems far more likely, right. but it, it is a lot of us, which is collective, which sure. I mean he could be speaking for the group of what he would like them to do. Um, But yeah, that's why I was like, who is actually, and because we've just read all of these things about what Israel is not doing well, totally. and seeing the heading, Israel and Judah are unrepentant. I'm right. like, then this can't be, them speak like who is actually speaking here, totally. you know? so well that's and, there, what and that's why i asked the mind. question
1: because i think not, and i part of us talking about these things and working through books like this i don't know that we ever slow down long enough to ask those types of questions mm-hmm. so i partly wanted to hear from you because i figured that was going to be your answer and i just wanted to encourage people slow down you know there are no quotations in original hebrew so somebody decided to put these here And you start asking the question, why did they decide to put them here? Mm. And everything that you just said is why they decided to put them there. There's a massive change of discussion here. We go from sort of the doom and gloom of chapter 5. Remember all the dead carcasses and bodies, Mm. like the grossness. And then all of a sudden, there's this strange collective call of, come, let us return to the Lord. And then he has torn us that he may heal us. And it goes into past tense of he did this. Mm so that he may heal us. And so there's a huge discussion in scholarship about this. That's, so that's part of why I was asking, is just to like get a feel for where you're coming from, which you're, you're totally nailing it. Everything you're feeling about this being a change, a transition in the passage and in the book, it totally is. I am of the opinion, as a number of scholars that I, I looked into, that this is Hosea, but Hosea speaking in an eschatological way. And so that's a big fancy theological word. And everyone talks about, you know, eschatology, right? If you, you might've some, you know, people mm-hmm. talk about that. You know, this person's an expert in eschatology. And what that just means is eschaton. It just means last things in Greek. So anything that's talking about the end is called eschatology. And in this case, the end that is coming is the end of the judgment that God has been talking about since the beginning of this book. So, Many think that what's happening here is Hosea gets a vision of God finally winning out His people, but they're in exile. They've they've gone through the punishments of three, four, and five mm-hmm. that we just read through, and now it's time. You know, since He struck us down, since He's torn us, He's going to heal us. He's going to bind us up. Notice the parallelism there in verse one, and then there's another parallel in chapter in verse two, and then there's another parallel in verse three. And so there's all this beautiful parallelism. This idea that God is here. He's taking care of us. Even in the midst of the darkness, we know that one day he's going to return to us. And so they think what Hosea is saying here is this is almost like a song he's writing about Israel Mm -hmm. finally coming back to God and being welcomed into God's presence because the end is finally here. We've, we've done You know, we did everything wrong. God judged us. Now we've returned to him. He's returned to us. And there's this reality in their mind. And I, I don't know if I'm wrapping this up well in the podcast, but there's this reality that no matter what happens, there will be a point in time when God will return to us and make everything okay, Mm. which is a beautiful message. And it's one that we need to think about and hear because, you know, as we're recording this, we were just talking about there's a whole bunch of junk going on in the world, right? I mean, we have a heart for Haiti. We've been there a number Mm -hmm. of times. You stayed there for a whole summer. And, you know, just a couple of days ago, as, as of this recording, an earthquake hit Haiti again. And we're like, oh, are you kidding me? And there's another hurricane around the corner. So mm-hmm. you're like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? You know, or you watch these images of people fleeing Afghanistan and you just go, what in the world is happening? And you see the Taliban taking over again. And, and there's a panic and, and just everything feels like it's falling apart. But as a believer, we know that this earth is not our home and that everything that we go through is brutal and difficult. But yet... There's a day coming when there's either hope. we will be with him or he will return to us, and so we put our hope in that, mm-hmm. which is really cool.
0: Yeah,
1: I think there's one other thing in this passage that you noticed in this first couple of verses, didn't?
0: Um, well, the whole on the third day he will rise <laughs> us up, like that just reminded me of Jesus. Sounds a little bit like Jesus. It really does.
1: Uh, it's not, um, but it, it sounds like it, and it totally. And I I figured that we would talk about this because it's really important in this passage. I lean with the scholars who say, I think what's happening here is it's a Hebrew wordplay. So we've seen it in other places in the Bible. If you're reading through the Bible, it'll say things like, there are three things I'm angry with, four that I'm really upset with, right? Or there are six things and seven. And so one of the Hebrew wordplays that happens is if you say something like, I have two, no, three, Mm. it just kind of takes it to the next level. So what it's saying here is, after two days, which by the way isn't like a literal day here, it's talking about someday in the future. After two days, he will finally revive us because it, it we're talking, you know, yeah. hundreds of years here until things get back to normal. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. This idea of of just trust it, and the wordplay here is the two and three. Now like I will even
0: more so, like yeah, totally.
1: That's what's happening. Now I will say also though that when the new Testament authors write about Jesus rising on the third day, I think they are quoting this passage Mm. because they use the exact same Greek phrase on the third day. He will raise up. They just leave out a word. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of scholars that are saying they don't think it's about Jesus, but we understand why it sounds like it. But the new Testament authors had no problem going, Hey, isn't this interesting? And I, I mean, they're not wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So you know, the, one of the things we talk about sometimes with prophecy is can prophecy be fulfilled multiple different ways, multiple different times? You know, one way it was described to me is imagine you're staring at a mountain and you're wanting the prophecy to be fulfilled. And you, you see the top of the mountain and you get to it and you're like, oh, the prophecy was fulfilled. And then you look behind it and there's another mountain that's bigger and another one. And you could have multiple fulfillments of the exact same prophecy just in different ways. Mm. And that's, I, I guess suppose that's one of the possibilities here, but I, I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. So. All right. there's a scholarly nerd moment that we're done with. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Verse four. What shall I do with you? O Ephraim. What shall I do with you? O Judah. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. That's encouraging.
0: I mean, and it's just interesting that, yeah, that comes right after this almost repentance. Um, obviously yeah. it's future repentance, but yeah, right after where he's like, cause I imagine this is God speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically saying, like, your love is not constant. Nope. Your love c- comes and goes. Basically, I mean, at least what I know with how we deal with sometimes how we love God is it's all based on circumstance. Mm-hmm. So when things are going good, you don't really care. When okay. things aren't, you're like, why are you doing this to me? So um, I imagine it's the same for them as well, that their circumstances definitely are connected to their love for God yeah. rather than it just being a constant and like we'll get, there's a verse later on um, in a couple of verses that we'll really talk about that too. But yeah, he's like, what am I going to do with you?
1: You totally nailed like, it. Like
0: your love is here and then it's gone.
1: You nailed it. So when we get to that verse in a couple of verses, then I'll swing back to this too. Cause there's a lot to unpack, but it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, you're you're on it, verse five. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light.
0: That doesn't look good. Sure. Um. I mean, judgment going forth as the light. I mean, that's like <laughs> swift, quick. Like it just. Yeah. Nothing overcomes it. It just happens. Like ooh. And you um, can't hide
1: from it. No. Right. If you're in the dark and the light shows, you're like, oh nope, no,
0: well, found me. Yeah. So it's not. I mean, and, and this is because of the therefore, you always say, well, then what is it there for? I mean, right. and you go to the verse before, and it's talking about that their love isn't constant, and then this is what ends up happening because they don't remain faithful, you know?
1: Totally. Then the famous verse 6, many people have used this for various reasons, and it's good for us to do this. Verse 6, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings.
0: Yeah, this is that verse we are saying was going to be coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just feel like, yeah, perfectly connects with it, that he desires steadfast love. Like we see this often in scripture where God will say that he desires something over something else. Mm -hmm. And usually that something else is what we would think he would desire more of, right? So here it is steadfast love over sacrifices and offerings. Other times it's obedience over sacrifice, um, and we often think it has to do with showing God how much he means to us, right? That's what the sacrifice kind of comes from. But really, a lot of times that sacrifice is really for our own ego or our own pride mm-hmm. or to show everyone else what, look at how great I am. And he really just wants our love to be constant, not shifting. And I think that's like beautiful. That's like, he's like, this is all I really want from you. You don't have to do all this other stuff. Totally. You know?
1: I think this is so good for us to notice. Uh, When people say things like, it's not about a religion, it's it's about a relationship with Jesus. That saying gets so overused that people just kind of like don't even think about it anymore. It's an Old Testament idea. It's right here.
0: Which is crazy to think about because most people don't think of love in the Old Testament, you know?
1: And if you think about the region that Israel's in, every one of the gods that is worshipped, like we've talked about other times with Baal and other things, they, they require something in order for them to come in power and do what needs to be done. And I'm not necessarily making the case here that, you know, the gods show up and give rain or whatever, but the people who are worshipping believe that. If I just sacrifice more, rain's going to come. If I just do this more, this is going the way it's going to go. And so coming back to what you said a little bit ago, and this is where I thought we'd tie the bow on part this part, It's a circumstantial love. It's a, if everything goes my way, then I'll keep sacrificing to you and Mm -hmm. I'll keep doing things. And part of what God's going to do in the next few verses here, and he's, he's pushing hard right now. And then he's going to kind of ramp it up in the next few verses is just kind of showing us, I I gave you a lot and you didn't follow me.
0: Mm.
1: I took it all away and you didn't follow me. So back to verse four, what am I going to do with you? Like your love is basically morning dew. It's a mist. It's a fog. Like you don't have much for me but yet you expect me to keep showing up and doing stuff. And so there's sort of this rhetorical move that God's doing here for these first few verses of just saying, I, I, I'm going to do what I do because it's me. It's my character. It's who I am. But I don't need more sacrifices to be me. I just yeah. am me. And so there's this idea that's already building in the Old Testament, and then the prophets here are noticing it, and they're saying, whoa, 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 like, like if I could clap or scream right here and just be like, listen up. Well, the idea is, we love God and he loves us. Therefore, we give him sacrifices out of the abundance of what he's given us. It's not even because we have to. It's just because we know that, that we don't deserve it. And so we're giving him it back. It's not about burnt offerings and things to try to, like, make God happy. That's mm-hmm. in quotes. You know, it's, it's this idea of, like, God, you are God, and you're always going to be God, and you're never going to change being who you are. I understand that, and I understand that I have no place with you, so I'm in a relationship with you and therefore I'm gonna give what I have. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Yeah. And and that's what Hosea is saying here, and that's really the point. And that gets pulled up by Jesus, who then, you know, passes it on to the church. And the church has been doing this for a long time. The problem is we still have preachers that say this. You know, like, oh, your job, you lost your job. That's because you didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. You know, like, shut up, dude. Like, go home and don't say that anymore. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> shut up, dude. Yeah. But the, the idea is, like, there's so many things that are said and done in churches. You know, I've, I've talked to people who got cancer, and someone told them, hey, have, we, have you prayed about this enough? And I just yeah. want to, like, freak out on those people, and sometimes I've had the opportunity to do so. This isn't about your circumstances. They— I don't know how they're going to go. Could God heal you of cancer? Absolutely. Could God have stopped you from being raped? Yes. Could God have done, he could do whatever he wants to do. Why didn't he? That's not my question to ask or answer. I don't have any, I don't have any way of knowing why this is going on. What I do know is that he's a good God who's worth following. And so I'm going to give him everything I have. And that's what God's asking for in verse six. But yet we're going to turn back and be like, well, you didn't do anything for me. So I'm out. It doesn't matter whether you like him or not. He, is he God? If he's God, then you just have to decide whether mm-hmm. you're for him or against him. Um, so, yeah, and there's I'll no ste- in-between. I'll so. step off the uh, the high horse there. Sorry. Got a little preachy. A no, little good. preachy. All right, verse 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me.
0: So it is crazy to lack faith or love with God with and I said with a God, but, like, with yeah. God who is so stinking faithful and whose love is unconditional. Like, it's just crazy to even think of, and granted, in my daily life, am I fantastic at giving him all of me? No. No. Like, I will never be until right. we're there, you know? Um, but it is just crazy to think of, yeah, like, Adam. Like, he went back to Adam and transgressing that co- covenant, like, they walked together mm-hmm. like they knew each other. And even then it wasn't in some ways. I don't want to say it wasn't good enough, but like, yeah, wanted control, like humans want to control. They yeah. wanted more. And it's just so and we still do. That's why right. we have the issues that we have. Totally. Right. Like, I mean, yes, Satan, this is his domain. We mm. live in an imperfect world, but also we don't a lot of times need help sabotaging or doing bad things. Like we don't always need Satan to help us. Like we do a a pretty good job of that on our own, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of sad.
1: It is. And we do a great job of messing it up on our own. And I I love what you just said there. And you said, I never am able to do, you're never able to sacrifice enough. You're never able to give enough. And that's the whole message of the gospel. Jesus did it all for us. Mm -hmm. And so now because we've accepted him as our savior, we don't have to perform. You know, like one of the songs that I'm listening to a lot lately right now is, uh, Maverick City's gyra. If you listen to this song. Yeah. But in the first verse, he just says, I wasn't holding you up. So I couldn't let you down. Like, it's mm-hmm. just not possible. And, and that's so true. And so there's this idea of like, we get built up in this whole thing. Like what is going on? And I'm not, I'm not good enough. No, you weren't, but Jesus is like, that's that's the, the, point. That's the yeah. whole point. So if you accept Christ, then you've, you've, all of your sins have been forgiven, and you're wiped clean. And then the question is, what are you going to do with it, right? What are you going to mm-hmm. do with this great forgiveness, which hopefully you turn around and read verses like this, and you go, oh, I don't need to give sacrifices. I just need to give him everything I've got. Yep. And I'm not going to be able to do that. Nope. But there's beautiful forgiveness for that. Mm-hmm. And when you fail, you just come back and go, hey, I'm sorry, whoever I failed, and let's get going Let's again. move on. And God's good. Mm-hmm. All right, verse 8. Gilead is a city of evildoers, like you said. We, we mess it up on our own. We don't need yeah, we Satan. Don't need help. Notice it isn't saying Satan is a city of evildoers. So Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people.
0: So, not great things again. Nope. But again, at the end, there is still that glimmer of hope that we've kind of talked about throughout this whole episode so far. like God restoring his people, God bringing them back. I mean, this one talks about restoring his fortunes. Um, but there is also a ways to go before this happens. Like this totally. is, I mean, as you kind of said when we were talking about the Hosea talking in the beginning, hundreds of years pass were they're in exile before this actually. Yeah. before he actually does restore them and, and it comes to be. so, And what's also hard is a good chunk of them are never going to see that restoration, right? They're going to die before that restoration happens. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Even the readers, you know, for however long this, this is disseminated and handed out within Israel, there are generations of readers that read this and still never see what's coming. Right, because I mean, here we're talking about Israel that's going to be wiped out in 722 BC. Then Babylon comes in and takes Judah in 586 BC, and it's not until the 400 somethings that they're even remotely free. And then the Greeks come in and conquer again. So just you start doing the math, you know, and wait at the even at the time of Jesus, Rome's in charge. So they still Mm -hmm. haven't really been freed to the extent that they think they're deserving of being free.
0: And that's why they think Jesus is going to totally. Governmentally free them.
1: Can you handle that? I mean, I'm living in a generation right now that's freaking out because you know your bagel didn't get handed out fast enough at Panera or something. I don't know. I don't know if people actually go to Panera, but you know, if you're standing in line at McDonald's and and it's taking too long right now, you're like, I can't believe this. Never mind the fact that you know they have no help and they're trying to figure out how to like Golly. just get fast food moving. Uh, but we freak out about the tiniest of things, and we have we have no perspective on what things could be.
0: Or on yeah, just timing and. We want things, I mean, yeah, we, I feel like it's getting worse and worse and worse as where we're wanting things instantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Instagram, like, sure, you know, it's right there. And then if I don't want that picture, I just pick the next one, you know, just f- keep flicking that finger up. And so I just am like, it's, I mean, the microwave, like, yeah, I don't want to put it in the oven. That takes 20 minutes. I'm going to do the microwave, which takes two, you air, know, it's air just. Air fryers.
1: Yeah. Do you want to, you want to, what a stove can do in just a fraction of the time? Air fryer. Let's go.
0: But, and it's healthier, (laughs) right? Sure.
1: (laughs) I don't think my Totino's pizza rolls are healthier (laughs) because they have an air fryer.
0: Oh, but pizza rolls are so good. And
1: in an air fryer, they're delicious. (laughs) All right. So it's time for the deeper dive. Uh, This will be a quick one, but the idea here that I wanted to, we just started talking about it a second ago and I sort of want to wrap it up in here, but what does it look like to have an internal perspective? Right, I I mean, if you're reading this passage, I think it's easy for us sometimes to read it and go, well, of course God came back. Look what he did. He fixed everything. But we're 2,000 years past the time that Jesus died on the cross almost. Like we're right in that window of where scholarship thinks he died on the cross. So we're within 10 years or so of 2,000 years since that happened. Mm -hmm. This is 700 years before that. So over a period of 2,700 years, to some extent, God still isn't here. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go back to the beginning of chapter 6, and you're like, God is going to be with his people again. They were talking about an eschatological hope for Israel that God would would dwell with them again. That happens briefly, and then, really, it's Jesus, and then he dies on the cross and rises from the grave. And God has not dwelt among the people besides the Holy Spirit ever since. And we're looking forward to an ultimate eschaton where God will one day dwell Mm. on the earth the way that he was supposed to back in the very beginning. So what is an eternal perspective? I think part of an eternal perspective is saying uh, it's okay to wait a little bit. Maybe I'm not the most important thing in the universe. Maybe I should just back off of my hobby horse for a little bit and realize Maybe I'm not going to make a major change. Maybe I'm not going to be able to do everything that I want to do. Maybe my legacy isn't going to be as big as I think it's going to be. And I'm saying this mostly to young adults and college students because you're in that time of life where you you think you're going to be great. And I'm not trying to say that you won't be. <laughs> yeah. Cause some of you are going to be amazing. And if you, you know, if you're going to be amazing someday and you're listening to our podcast, man, I'm just pat us on the back for helping you <laughs> become as great. No, I'm just kidding. Become as great as you are. But the, the reality is this. I was in my early 20s thinking, I'm going to be a mega church pastor someday. This is what. And I, I thought, like, and partly because of the way people built me up, I, I was destined for greatness. Mm-hmm. So then my first job, I served a church of like 200 people and it kind of didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Then I served a church of like 350, and that didn't go well. And then I've jumped all the way up to a church of about 550. Killing it. Mm-hmm. You know that what I'm saying? Church. But if that was my. Priority. If that was my my whole engagement of life, of just saying like this is my goal and I'm going to achieve it, I have not achieved it yet, and I'm 20 years in. But over the period of my early 20s, something broke in me where I realized God is what I want. I don't care what else I get, and I was able to change and adjust my perspective and priorities drastically. Not because I didn't want it, not because I couldn't get it, but because I realized in the long run, I'm going to trust God. He's going to give me what He wants to give me, and if I'm faithful and he decides to give me something down the road, then he does that. If not, then that's it. But I need to have more of an internal perspective. I don't, no one really cares who Chris Dukenberg is and this name's going to disappear someday. But one of the things that I did start noticing is that for me to have an internal perspective, I needed to invest in the people around me rather than just trust that there's going to be some statue built of Chris Dukenberg somewhere of like, you know, the church of Chris Dukenberg, which that all sounds stupid (laughs) and ridiculous, but I'm just saying like that's in in my mind, I kind of had this thing and I'm reading Hosea 6, and it, it, I just thought this would be a great little teaching, deeper dive moment. To have an eternal perspective has has to be for us to realize that so much of God's word has not been fulfilled yet, and it's been thousands of years. So my point is your timetable doesn't matter to God that much. So I don't want to just say, like, get over yourself and move on, but I'm saying everything but that in the kindest, gentlest way I can say you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how this is all going to go. Maybe just trust him a little bit and believe that he's got the best for you. And then we'll figure it out in the end. Mm-hmm. But one day he'll be back and he'll do what he said he's going to do. But it may not happen in my lifetime. It may not happen for another thousand lifetimes. I don't know. It could be tomorrow. But I, I'm just waiting on him. And in the meantime, I'm going to do what I can and with the time I've got, with the people I've got around me, to just do what God's called me to do. And that means that sometimes my dreams have to die to become what he wants me to be.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes our dreams, when we really boil them down, are extremely selfish because we think, because we want to make our name great instead of making his name great. And so I think, yeah, especially as a young adult, that's something that you can really struggle with. But as time goes on, you start to realize what's really important and the priorities really start to take shape, so...
1: All right, let's get practical. Let's get practical, practical. Man, good times.
0: Yep. So we talked about this a little bit throughout the read through, um, but just gonna dive into it a little bit more. Just this idea of that we often think we know what God is going to do, or what He is thinking, or fill in the blank. Like we kind of try to figure Him out, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but no. But we, but we essentially really can't, right? Like he works in crazy ways. But really we try to figure out why he's doing certain things and usually has to do with us. Right. Right? To kind of make us feel better. Or why he is allowing certain things to happen or and we need it to make sense to us. So we try to figure out a way that makes sense to us. Which goes completely against how God works. Is it true it's like kind of futile to be trying to figure it out because Like, there's no, there's no reasoning in why he decided to part the Red Sea to let them go through. Or how, why he allowed the walls of Jericho to come down in that way. Like, none of that really actually makes sense. So, when we try to make it make sense, it's making sense to us. So, we're kind of putting almost God in like a human box. Right. And he doesn't work as we work.
1: No. Right? Like, not at all. Which, thank God for that.
0: Y- yes. Yeah. Like, right. literally.
1: Totally. Absolutely.
0: And it's the same thing with when God says what he prefers over what we think he prefers. So obedience over sacrifice or steadfast love over sacrifice or knowledge of God over burnt offerings. Like he desires the inward change over the outward showing. And we think he would almost prefer that outward showing, right? right? But it truly, that outward showing, means nothing. The sacrifices, the offering, like none of that means anything if you don't actually have a repentant heart or you're doing it joyfully, totally. like joyfully giving or, um, or even just desiring to want to know him more for who he is not based on the blessings that he can give or, or any of those things. I mean, think about it. Do we want people to do things for us just because they feel as though they have to? Like No. No. We want people to do things because they want to do things. And, and in that case, like God is that same, is the same way. Like he wants that inward, that inward change that then is shown through the outward action. Totally. Not the outward action that's just supposed to mask what is not being done on the inside, you know?
1: And he's always going to work in a way we don't fully understand. Always. Which is what you're saying. And I think when I, when I think about him and how he does things and who he is, I can't even fathom what it's like to be in his position and to do what he does and how he does it. So I then step back a little bit and realize, first of all, I'm, I'm never fully going to understand you. So that's big. Second, I don't even know if I trust my motives when, right. I, when I know what I'm trying to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there are moments where I do something and I'm thinking in my heart of hearts, I'm doing this because it's right. But later on, I might reflect and i be like, well, you really just... You know, we talked about this months ago. You, you fed the homeless man or you talked to that homeless person mm-hmm. because it was the right thing to do. But really, it was just guilt. Like, that, that was what was driving mm-hmm. it for you or, you know, you wanted to look good or you wanted to have a good sermon illustration. Uh, uh. <laughs> hypothetically speaking. Right. And I, I look at that and I think, I don't even know necessarily what I'm doing sometimes. But what's beautiful is God knows me well enough to know why I'm doing it. And so when I read this passage and I see him talking so severely to the people, I don't trust anybody else to know exactly what's going on besides him. Like, he's mm-hmm. the one. If anyone's going to know, oh, yeah, they're doing, totally doing it for the right reasons, it's God. And the fact that they aren't and we don't, you know, I, how many people have we talked to over the years who they're judging someone, you know, oh yeah, they, they, they raise their hand in worship, so they clearly are worshiping the Lord deeply. I can't believe that they did the horrendous thing on Tuesday because they were worshiping so hard on Sunday. Like that's clearly, it doesn't jive, yeah. you know? Or, you know, I had conversations with people after some of the major fallouts with some of the big pastors. Like how can God use those pastors to do these terrific things when all the while they're being total turds? Uh, you could quote me on that. That's mm-hmm, That's, like that's that a that legit turd. quote right there. But the reality is God is working in a way that we just don't understand. And we need to just chill and think, oh yeah, all right, he's got it. So then the question comes down to do we trust him? Mhm. And I don't know that my answer is always yes to that.
0: It's yeah, very true. How about you?
1: Is your answer always yes to I trust God fully with everything?
0: Um no. <laughs> it, it's really, I love that you hesitate. It's really for a not. I mean, cuz I mean, what's funny is sometimes I feel like when it first happens, then I'm I'm like, yes, trust. Right. Um or sometimes my first reaction is not that. And then I have to be like, okay, he's always been faithful. Right. He's al- you know. Like it's so right. it's it's interesting, but no, it is not always that case.
1: Well, and what's funny, you're you're as you're saying that, it makes me think of. I say, I totally, you know, in that first moment, I trust God. But sometimes I even trust God because I think that's what God wants me to do, so that He'll give me <laughs> what I want. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh, I know. Like there's yeah. this weird thing that that's in my heart sometimes. Yeah, yeah it's like.
0: I'm going to trust him so I can still get it.
1: <laughs> if I trust him now, I yeah. maybe I've learned my lesson. And now he's as if God, the God of the universe doesn't read through all of that and go, no,
0: I know what you're doing. <laughs> Which is so funny that we still think sometimes that we can like get one over. on Totally.
1: Him. And there's so many good verses on this in the Bible. You know, uh, whether it's the the book of Psalms repeatedly saying things like your ways are higher than my ways. I will never think the way you think. Right. Or Job saying, your ideas are too wonderful for me to grasp. You're, you're too marvelous for me to even really fully mm-hmm. comprehend. So there's this there's this constant kind of give back in scripture of, I don't really know what you're doing, and I, I'm learning to be okay with that, which I think is really helpful for all of us to to apply,
0: mm-hmm. which I
1: think is practical. Yeah. Very practical. I mean,
0: that's where we're at.
1: Let's get practical.
0: <laughs> Council Corner with Erica. All right. So I was chatting with a young adult, Um, A couple months ago. And they were discussing their relationship with me. They have been with this person for a while. And began to start to see some differences in how they were being treated. So they were really struggling with like what to do. Mm -hmm. Because they knew this was not how it had always been. They didn't really necessarily want to give up. So they were kind of wondering like do I stay in it? Do I not? We've been doing this for a while. I don't really just want to like let go of all of that. And so... They were kind of like, do we just have a very in-depth heart-to-heart? Do I end it? Do I stay in it? And there were a few things that I mentioned to them as a means of, like, a way of giving advice. Um, And my first response literally was, you need to just end it. Hmm. And I think that person was taken aback a little bit by that. But by ending something, that doesn't mean that you're ending it forever. Right. Right? Like, that doesn't mean that it's never going to happen again or you might not find your way back to each other. But there is truly something going on with that person and they need to sort it out. And it's not really fair to you to be treated that way while they sort it out. Right. They need to kind of be on their own to sort that stuff out. And that's kind of the thing with dating, too, is it can be ended easily. Not, not saying that commitment should be flippant, but you're not married yet. You're not engaged yet. You can take that break right. to to figure that stuff out and then maybe come back together afterwards. Whereas if you're married, you can't, I mean, you can take breaks, but it's not as easy as when, as when you're dating. So it's almost like take those if you need them, you know, because you can. So taking a a legit break can actually be super healthy and beneficial for your guys' relationship. And I also really reminded her that as a Christ follower, you are first and foremost their sister or brother in Christ. You are spurring them on in their walk with Christ, and that is the priority. It's not making sure you feel loved or being super concerned about your feelings being hurt or worrying about the time that you've put into this relationship. It is all about their walk with Christ. And if they are treating you poorly, that is a direct connection on how their relationship with God is going. So maybe they need to take time to get that back on track and then you guys can continue to later on because mm-hmm. truly that's what's most important Absolutely. and it will negatively affect everything else if it's not good to go. Right. And it's not going to change unless you give them that time to change it. But sometimes what I kind of fear is that especially with young adults that you're that you're kind of more concerned with feeling safe and secure and um and you're getting that in a a human relationship rather than from God. And you're kind of more concerned with like finding that person. I feel like we kind of, and maybe we put it on ourselves or maybe it is a part of the Christian culture where you just feel like you have to, that that is your job basically after high school is, is to get married and find that person. So you're more actually concerned and worried about that than actually being obedient to God and following what God would want you to do. Or even, like, knowing your own worth and what you do and don't deserve or um, actually making sure your person and even yourself are solid with God. Like, those are the things that are really important. Mm -hmm. Starting a relationship when you aren't good with God, like, it's just going to create more issues down the road, you know? So get good with God first. So don't forget the priorities even in a relationship, that the priority is your relationship and their relationship with God before your relationship with each other. And it's truly becoming more and more like Christ. So sometimes that means you might have to say, we need to break this for a second so that you can, or even I, we need to break this so that I can get back where I need to be. And right. and granted, sometimes it doesn't need to be a break. You cannot, You can still notice those things and get them back on track without necessarily needing a break, but sometimes I think it's better to do that on your own rather than, kind of dragging that person along with.
1: Totally. And I say that to couples all the time in my premarital counseling. My first meeting with them is I say something along the lines of, I, I would rather break you up right now than have another spoiled marriage yeah, right? out there in the world. And so this advice couldn't be better. <clears throat> the idea that if you're not married yet, and hopefully you're dating to toward yes. marriage, we've, we've said this multiple times on the podcast. If you're a young adult or a young adult leader and you're, just dating for fun and you're kind of sowing your wild oats or whatever mm-hmm. repent and move on like stop being who you are and stop doing that just you should be if you're going to date at all you should be dating toward this idea of a long-term commitment marriage because that's what god is honored by is is two people choosing to do this and if you're not desiring to get married at all then why are you dating at all mm-hmm. you know like if your goal is to be single your whole life then qu- stop dating you're just wasting your time Yeah. So in the middle of all that, I I would rather a couple break up before they get married and figure this stuff out rather than get married and then break up and have, you know, kids to divvy up or, or massive other, you know, houses or something like just, uh, ugh, this life gets so messy. And if you can make it a little less messy by taking a break and doing what you're asking to do, it's just good stuff. It's wise. And doing
0: it now and not years from now because that's when it gets messy.
1: Or as the kids say, totes. Toats, my goats? Toats. Oh. That's what they say, Erica. I missed that. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I'm the only person that says that.
0: I think so. Well, all
1: right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode. Yes.
0: Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the socials like Instagram at TheYamCast. We love to hear back from you guys, so please leave us a comment or a review, and we might even send you guys a sticker. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com.